Bay's Tan Talk. Entertaining and informative radio for the Sunshine State. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Look out there, out there is the perfect lap. You see it? I think so. Most people can't. Daryl Shelby, maybe? Lee Iacocca, Ford Motor. Suppose Henry Ford II wanted to build the greatest race car the world's ever seen to win the 24 hours of Le Mans. What's it take? Well, it takes something money can't buy. Money can buy speed. What well, in about speed? You need a pure racer behind the wheel of your car. That's Ken Miles. I don't trust him an inch. We heard he's difficult. No, no, Ken's a puppy dog. No, whatever it is, Shell, no. Trust me. You're gonna build a car to beat Ferrari with a Ford. Correct. And how long did you tell them that you needed? Two, three hundred years? 90 days. <laughs> this isn't the first time Ford Motors has gone to war. We know how to do more than push paper. Go ahead, Carol. Go to war. Thank you, sir. Do you think you can beat Ferrari? We're lighter, we're faster. That don't work, we're nastier. We're gonna make history. You ready? I was born ready, Mr. Shelby. Hit it. I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Oh, thank you, sir. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Oh, 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 just for that, no toys. Oh. Hi there. This is Ohio George Montgomery, the Gasser King. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Ha, ha, ha. 
<laughs> we went a little long on that one. All right. Welcome to, uh, hey, listen, welcome. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio Cars. I'm your show's Robert. And I'm, so, I'm sorry for the delay and getting you there. I was no, too no, busy no, rocking no, out no, to no, it. No, 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 Matt, Matt's in the music, and he was just, like, getting into Inigata DeVito. I don't blame him. I How could too. you not? How could you not? Yeah, exactly. Okay, anyway, you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google Tantalk, 1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Yes, I'm in the Clearwater bunker today. Anyway, don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com. Like I said, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past shows, check out Nostalgic Radio cars.com that's where all our shows are now today is 5-9 as of 5-13 we will have been on the air 13 years 5-13 yeah exactly so it was uh, May 13th 2010 was when we had our first show so that's a while ago. So we're going to probably do end up doing our uh, special anniversary show in next week or a week after, depending on who the guest is, who we have lined up. That's always a secret. But anyway, so if you've been following the show for the last two, three weeks, we've had uh, two weeks, we've had uh, Waddell Wilson on. Okay, so Waddell, super nice guy, uh, worked for Home and Moody, crew chief, uh, won tons of races. And last week, um, I was in uh, an undisclosed, lo- undisclosed, undisclosed location, hidden deep in the bunkers, in the world of Florida, someplace, Florida. Anyway, and uh, so um, we were. Uh, the timing's off. If I'm sitting in the studio, I can look through the window here and I can see, you know, whoever the producer is, whether it's Bobby, whether it's Matt, or whether it's Ed, or somebody like that, or Billy, or or. Cedric or somebody like that. At any rate, um, so sometimes my cues are off a little bit. No big deal. No big deal. And uh, But we were in the middle of a story there with uh, Waddell Wilson. Well, it was interesting is I, did, I hate cutting people off, and we rarely ever do that. I mean, maybe two or three times in the entire history that we've done uh, a live radio show. And uh, so Waddell called me a couple days ago. And he says, you know, I, I think we got cut off. And I said, you're right, we did. And he says, well, do you got a minute? And I said, sure. And so he calls me up and he says, uh, you know, I, w- I want to finish my story. I said, uh, okay. So he tells me a story, which is cool. And then we get into other stuff. And I said, Waddell, you know what? We're going to have to bring you back. We're going to have to do part three. So we have Waddell Wilson coming on for part three. But we're going to get into other stuff. So we're a little looking forward to it. Waddell's a super nice guy. And uh, so let me just tell you a little bit about what, uh, before we get to our guests this evening, let me tell you a little bit about what we did this weekend. This weekend was the Festivals of Speed Festival, Festivals of Speed event in Ocala, Florida, at the World Equestrian Center, and that was uh, Friday night was uh, load in time basically, and then we had an evening cocktail party, which was really kind of cool, and uh, and a lot of cars on display, a lot of interesting people. It was very 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 nicely done, very very professional. If you get a chance, you need to check out the World Equestrian Center. Super place to have an event, really, quite frankly. And um, and then of course Sunday was Saturday was the the big show, and I was there working with our good friends at Fast Lane Travel. So if you want to go on a really really cool driving tour to Europe, whether it's uh, Germany, Austria, France, Switzerland, or Italy, um, and Switzerland, did I say Switzerland? I think I did. Anyway, um, definitely check out fastlanetravel.com, and. Uh, we also do driving tours here in the United States. We've done some. Last year we did uh, one in uh, North Carolina, and we also did one in. Uh, we're doing one in uh, Colorado this year, and we're looking to doing more. And uh, so, you know, I, I didn't. I never really realized, and I've been doing my little research because I'm kind of like the brand ambassador slash events guy slash kind of PR a little bit, and uh, it uh, driving tours are, are a big deal, and there's a certain. Um, 
driving experience, camaraderie, and again, you don't have to necessarily have to have a Porsche. You don't have to have a Ferrari or anything like that. You can have, you know, your, your basic Mustang, Chevelle, Camaro, Datsun, you know, Volkswagen. It, it makes no difference. It's just it's a driving experience. It's not a race. And uh, and and I'll tell you what, some of the best driving. I mean, outside of being out, you know, out west in California, which is, we've got some amazing stuff out there. I will say that the North Carolina region has got some beautiful roads. Now, that's not to say, like a few weeks ago, I was up in Pennsylvania and I was diddy bopping around there when I went to Carlisle uh, for the uh, all Porsche swap meet up there. And uh, I was driving through some of those country roads. So, you know, when you get outside of the city, there are some beautiful roads. But I will say that North Carolina has got some pretty pretty hairy stuff some pretty tricky stuff and uh, of course everybody's familiar with the with the tail of the dragon which is 11 miles i think it's 11 miles one way and then back so it's like 22 miles or maybe whatever something like that but anyway so i, I ran the tail of the dragon a couple years ago and uh unfortunately it's like you know cluttered with motorcycle guys and sightseers and tourists so you really can't haul butt not to mention johnny laws out there looking for you and uh, so, but it's, uh, I remember when I was driving, when I was up there last year, uh, I pulled over in the middle of the forest someplace, and it was just complete tranquility. It was beautiful. The scenery was gorgeous. I was up high overlooking a peak and everything like that. And uh, it was just, you know, so for about uh, seven or eight minutes, I just sat there on the fender of my car, uh, just enjoying total, 100% peace and quiet and just in harmony with nature. It was really, really beautiful. It was very surreal. And um, so that was kind of cool. And then, um, but the roads leading up to it, and you probably heard me talking about this event that I went to. I went with uh, our friends over there at Grassroots Motorsports, too, and I also did Fast Lane Travel as well. But Grassroots, Motors, Grassroots Motorsports, I was loose, okay? We were, um, I wasn't working for anybody. I was just kind of like up there kind of hanging out with the guys. And also a couple of us Porsche guys got kind of really, really crazy. We had a couple of guys that had some really, really fast cars and talented drivers. And just about everybody in that group actually had a racing license, including myself. So it wasn't you were with seasoned drivers. But the stuff that we were doing was absolutely insane. I mean, we were coming around some of these turns. And, I mean, I was trying to keep an eye on the guy's either right rear or left rear quarter because just in case he hit the brakes or brake lights came on real quick, I knew I had maybe a second or two to react and, and get out of the way and avoid a collision of some kind because you don't know what's around the corner. And some of these turns, I mean, they're very, very tight, and uh, the roads are very, very narrow, and you're lucky. You know, you're running probably 40, 50 miles an hour, maybe 60 miles an hour on these really twisty roads, and that's pretty fast. It really is, especially if you got to react really, really, really quick. But uh, like I said, there's no substitute for experience. But anyway, so these driving tours are a lot of fun. Now, you don't always have to get crazy and hairy like we did, but it's the experience. You know, you go to, let's say, like you might go to a racetrack. You might go to a museum. You might, you know, a car museum, that is. This is all automotive-related. Uh, stay at some really cool restaurants. Um, or stay at some really cool hotels and, and eat at some really cool restaurants. And it's just, you know, it's this camaraderie. And what I've discovered over the years is that a lot of these guys go on these tours repetitively. I mean, they'll do one in California. They'll do one in Colorado. They'll do one in New England. Um, Carolinas, so that's pretty popular. So I will keep you guys informed because we're going to kind of expand our because um, we do primarily Europe, primarily to the Porsche factory, but we're going to be looking into possibly doing stuff at the Coventry factory, you know, where Jaguars built, possibly Marinello, where Ferrari is, possibly San Agatha, which is where uh, um, Lamborghinis are made. You know, we might even just pop into Turin or Milan. I'm sure I think it's Turin, maybe Milan. One of those little big cities in Italy and watch them assemble a couple of fiats 
And go to Wolfsburg, where the Volkswagens are, you know, uh, Ingolstadt, where they make the Audis. I mean, there's all kinds of cool places over there. Köln is where the Ford uh, deals, uh, Ford manufacturing facility is in Germany. And Steyrpuch in Austria. So not to leave those guys out, too. So there's a lot of really, really cool stuff out there. But there's a lot of really cool places here in the United States. I mean, you got a couple of factories. you got the Volkswagen factory in Knoxville, Tennessee. you got Spartanburg, which is BMW. Um, you got, uh, I think, Alabama is where Mercedes is. Um, of course, the Corvette place, which I think is in St. Louis, maybe? I'm not sure. Something like that comes up there. Hey, let me ask you a question. Since you're on the back, Matt, since on the back of your shirt, sure. you've, you've got a bunch of guitars on yeah. there. Are you in the guitars? Kind of. This, so the T-shirt I'm wearing is a rock and roll. It's from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I went in 2012. It's a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame shirt. Rock That's, and Roll. Okay. So yep. are you into instruments at all? Guitars at all? Kind of, yeah. Like what? Uh, I wouldn't be able to give you specifics, to be honest with you. I just like good music. Oh, you like so your music, not so much the musical instruments themselves. Exactly. Okay, that's that's, that's why that's why I was bobbing my head to in it got a Devito when we started okay, the show. Okay, okay. So you're a music fanatic, but okay, all right. Absolutely. All right. So, but you don't play any musical instruments. I wish I could. You know, okay. I well, wish I could. It's really well. I'll tell you what. There, a friend of mine, Jim Terry's music, is up there on uh, Curly Road. I think that's what it is. Whatever that road is, it goes to Tampa and goes someplace to Dunedin or whatever it is. And he gives lessons to old guys. Okay, so a guitar is a relatively easy instrument, particularly if you play from the seventh fret forward down to the neck right. to the head. You can just play some some basic uh, open chords. It's pretty easy. It's not that hard. And piano, piano. I used to play piano. Yeah. Is actually not that difficult. Truth as well. be told, I've said this to people a few times. There's two songs I've always wanted to learn how to play on guitar. What's up? Uh, God's gonna cut you down by Johnny Cash. Okay. And my all time probably my all time favorite rock song. Johnny Be Good, Chuck Berry. That's the first song I ever wanted to learn how to play on guitar. Well, now, wait a minute. Since we have Waddell Wilson coming on here yeah. in a few minutes, I picked, uh, what did I pick? There? Charlie Daniels. Charlie Daniels. Okay, I need to write. Well, uh, how's, what's that Johnny Cash song? Uh, it's God's Gonna What? It's a toss-up between Hurt or God's Gonna Cut You Down. God's Gonna Cut You Down. Really interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, we might have to play that. All right. Is that a good song? Absolutely. What kind of, it, is it like kind of a rock and roll type? Or no, little... it's, it's, it's more of a um, folk song, but it's weird. And it's, just, it's amazing how you can get into certain songs from out of nowhere, like The Strangest Thing. Yeah. So God's Gonna Cut You Down, I got into it from watching wrestling, ironically enough. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Well, so with, with professional wrestling, for those of you who don't know, Wrestlers walk out to their own entrance music. Like everybody's got a different song they use. Right. And there was a guy I used to follow him back home in New York who wrestled on the independent scene who used to walk out to the song. That's how I got hooked on it. Oh, well, yep. I'll tell you what. Just in, since you brought that up, sure. we can play We'll substitute that song tonight. We'll do All that. Right. Because it sounds like, well, Johnny Cash, everybody knows he was country. And, uh, and, it, and it might be very fitting. So on that note, I think what we should do, let me see, what uh, what's going on this weekend? Oh, Another Porsche thing up in uh, a driving touring event up in uh, just south of Waynesville, North mm-hmm. Carolina. And then the uh, Shelby American Automobile Club is in uh, July. It's usually over the 4th of July weekend, but this year I think it's the 13th, 14th, and 15th, and it's in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Now, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, they also have the Pittsburgh, I think it's tied in, it could be. They have the historic races up there. Now, I've never been to Pittsburgh, I have now been to Philadelphia. And which was by far a t- terrible, terrible, terrible airport. But other than that, Philadelphia was kind of cool. Oh, no, was, I, I agree with you on the airport. I've gone through the Philly airport a couple of times. I hate it. Well, Absolutely hate it. The, I, the, the thing that drove me up a while wasn't so much the airport. It was the fact that uh, when I was coming back, 
There was no signs for rental car return. I have never, ever, ever, ever been anywhere on the planet, that's the United States and Europe, where I've never seen a, a, a sign that says rental car return, where you actually drive in circles. I almost missed my plane. Wow. For the second time. I already missed the first one. I had to catch the second one. Wow. So, but anyway, neither here nor there. Right. Um, that I'm not blaming anybody. See, I never blame anybody. See, I am uh, in full control. The accountability is I missed the plane because I was hanging out at the car show, swapping yeah. me things. So that was just my fault. And uh, But anyway, and I missed it by a little few minutes the first time. So I just said, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with that. No big deal. But anyway, um, yeah, so when you're, uh, uh, when you make a boo-boo, you have to own up to your mistakes. So I did. But anyway, but the fact that I couldn't find the, uh, whatchamacallit, and I had GPS, and but, since she had ran me around in circles once before, I didn't believe her this time. Yeah. I really did. She tells me to get off at the cargo ramp, and I'm going, there's no way there's rental cars over by cargo ramp. I think of Tampa. We don't have sunny. Anyway, so then, she, and then I go to the airport, and there's no signs there, which was the correct exit. And then I went past it, looking for another one, thinking, oh, maybe it's on the south side. Well, there was nothing there. So I get on the south side, pull off the side of the road. Now I'm getting real nervous because i got a few minutes left. And I go, okay, uh, I reprogram it. Put it in there, but as I was going past the on the interstate, I actually passed the rental car place, and I thought, well, there it is. So I just said, screw it. I threw the uh, the the GPS and all that crap in the front seat, and I just went on instinct. So the force was with me. There you go. You see, so when when all when when all else fails, rely on intuition yeah. and gut instincts. I see. If there's one thing I've learned from watching the Karate Kid, it's this: license <laughs> never replaces eyes. Ears or brain. Trust what, 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 that more than the GPS. Oh, okay. You're right. You're absolutely right. On that note, I'm going to let you fire up Johnny Cash. All right. And you can announce that song since you know the song. All right. So this this was done in the late late 80s. Johnny Cash. God's going to cut you down. You're tuned into Nostalgia Radio Cars. Don't touch that doll. We'll be right back with Waddell Wilson. Can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Go tell that long tongue liar, go and tell that midnight rider, tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter, tell him that God's gonna cut him down. Tell them that God's gonna cut them down Well, my goodness gracious, let me tell you the news My head's been wet with the midnight dew I've been down on bended knee Talking to the man from Galilee He spoke to me with a voice so sweet I thought I heard the shuffle of angels feet He called my name and my heart stood still When he said, John, go do my will Go tell that long-tongued liar Go and tell that midnight rider Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter Tell him that God's gonna cut him down Tell him that God's gonna cut him down You can run on for a long time Run on for a long time Run on for a long time Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Hello, Florida. I'm 
I'm Ken Squire, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And guess what? I'm delighted to welcome back for part three our good friend Waddell Wilson. Waddell, how you doing, buddy? Okay, hope you're okay. Well, now last week when we we're talking. You were telling a story, and I can't remember the story because my memory's short, but I think it had something to do with racing out at Riverside. And uh, so what I want you to do is just pick up where we left off or tell that story again, and then we'll go to some other stories, and then i got a whole list of questions for you. How about that? Okay, that'll work. Well, I was telling about being in Riverside. That was in 75, and Beanie comes to me, someone had gave him a, a set of pistons, and I looked at him and I said, those are... Those are drag race pistons. Yeah, but the guy says they work. So, okay, I built the engine. He didn't have money to build the second new engine. Now, this is Benny so Parsons. This is Benny Parsons, right? Correct? That's Benny Parsons with LG DeWitt. Okay. So, anyway, I was up to the old park. And, you know, the year before, we had downsized and it lost a lot of engines because we were trying to race street engines. But, anyway, I went to got enough to put one together. We go to Daytona. Benny said, let's leave the new one in, run a couple of laps. We'll take it out and save it 502 laps and blow it up. Now, all we have is this old slave engine that I just stuck out together out of old used parts, and I wasn't, wasn't thinking it would even make a lap. So, anyway, we qualify, run the 125, fell out, and we started 32nd or somewhere in back in the pack. So halfway through the race, that thing's still running. And then later on, we ended up in second place, and David Pearson leading the race for the Wood Brothers car, and he ran in on a slow car and got spun out of something. So now we're leading the race. And then I got to thinking, you know, when they first downsized, it was 366 and then went to 358. I think, what on earth did I bail that out of? <laughs> so anyway, we go to Victor Lane, and that was the most unusual thing to win that race under those conditions. And LG DeWitt was so tight he couldn't even enjoy it. And Benny hugged me, and I thought he was going to squeeze me to death. <laughs> so, anyways, they take come out of Victor Lane and go to Vic, go to Teardown. And they, I didn't even want to go. I stayed back, and they paged me, so I went. I take the same part, check the born stoke, and I. I was holding my breath because I didn't pay no attention to what I was putting together. Because I wasn't planning on no date over the 500 winter coming out of it. So anyway, checked it and it was okay, thank the Lord. So we got away with that one. So now, how does that work with NASCAR? Do they tear down the winning car all the time or the top three? How does that work? What's the procedure? I'm not real familiar with you it. You know, so. I... I wondered that myself. At times, they'd take things, take them apart. You know, I never worried about it if we didn't win the race. You know, it wasn't nothing to worry about unless somebody. And that one time, they would pick somebody out of the backpack. Oh, really? Take you apart. Yeah, just to see if the people, the back markers, was running illegal. Okay. So. Now, didn't you have another story with Kelly Yarborough you wanted to share with us? Something about a street motor in a race car? No, I don't remember the street engine. 
Okay. You know, I remember Buddy Baker and some couple of stories I could tell you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. See, this is this is old timey radio, <laughs> so we want to hear stories. We love to hear stories. Okay. Well, you know, in 1980, Daytona 500, Buddy won that race. And right. I told that story before, so I need to go back over that one. And <clears throat> that record still stands today. I don't remember if I told that, but anyway, the next. Next uh, big track we can go to is Talladega, and we still have the Grey Ghost. And so I don't remember what we qualified or anything. But during the race, we're leading the race, and uh, Senior followed us, and Hunter uh, Hart Senior. So uh-huh. anyway, come down. They was thirty some laps to go, and the guy that was doing the tires for me. He said, we got to change four times. We can't make it on two. And then he and I would argue back and forth about it. The guys, the piss heard that going on. So finally, I said, okay, I'll call a four-time stop. And I did. And Buddy buddy come out on the racetrack. With the, and Earnhardt was, he was going into turn one. We were coming out of turn four. And he was, I forget how many seconds it was. He was, he was ahead of us. And they wouldn't but 20 some laps to go. And anyway, he gets closer and the crowd gets into it. And I think, I don't know if they're pulling for us or more than ours, but they're wanting to race, I think. So anyway, two laps to go and running down and passing him in the dog leg. And, you know, I thought sure enough that Earnhardt was going to wreck him. But anyway, he ended up winning the race. So we go through Victor Lane and come back in the garage. And Ray Hill was over the garage area at the time, or over the cars. And he pulled, he said, pull this thing up here by Earnhardt's car. He said, I'm going to find out where that weight jacker is. There ain't no car supposed to run him down like you guys did. <laughs> I said, well, what do you mean weight jacker? I said, you're lowering the race. You're lowering this race car. I don't know where that come from. We know we was not doing anything like that. And the funny thing about it, I said, wait a minute. I got to look at Earnhardt's car, their car. I said, these cars are identical, right? They're Oldsmobile. Yep. Okay. I said, well, look at his right front fender. Here's a ain't hill. The right front fender was a tire road came up and burnt the paint off of it. I said, ours hadn't even scarfed it. I said, now who's warning the car? He looked at both of us and just turned around, and walked off, and never said a word about that. <laughs> the other buddy Baker story, the ones that I did, still hard to imagine. But Martinsville was a, a racetrack you'd go to and figure they nobody got a chance against Richard Petty. He owned Martinsville there for years back in the seventies and eighties, and even back in the sixties. So anyway. We got Buddy going to put I'm thinking, how are we going to get decent run out? Because he don't finesse the car. He's either wide open, on or off the gas. So I got to thinking about it, and I said, well, you know, he don't wear out the brakes. A lot of them drivers lay their foot on the left, on the brake, and, and ride it at times. So I, I knew he just, he never even picked his foot, left foot up. He just took his right one and put it on the brake. So anyway, I say, well, I'm gonna build something different. And everybody's always building torque engines to get off the corner there straight away. And so I said, well, I'm gonna get one altogether different. So I 
I built this engine, had the top end, and it was a Daytona Talladega engine. I gave it to them boys to put it in the car, and they looked at me and said, you going crazy? We're not going to Martin, we're going to Martinsville, not Daytona Talladega. I said, just put it in the car. So anyway, we get to Martinsville, and in the latter part of the race, there's a caution, we come in and pitted, and we got Buddy back out in front of Richard. And there was 40 or 50 laps, I forget how many, you'd go back and look in the record book. But Richard Petty could not pass him. <laughs> and he ended up winning, up winning that Martinsville race. So no mechanic on pit road that knew Buddy anything about him could believe that he won Martinsville. And it's, it, it was still amazes me today that he was able to do that. Well, that's basically because you built the motor to run uh, like a, a super speedway because you knew how he, his driving yeah. habits. So, which brings a question to to you as the crew chief and the engine builder, you know, I'll, and I'll collectively there. So, how important is it for you to know your driver's habits when you're setting up a car, again, engine-wise, suspension-wise, brakes, and all that kind of stuff? Well, you know, it's funny working with all the different drivers that I was able to work with. And Lorenzo would always tell me what how he wanted his engine. He said, I want off the corner to the start finish line. That's where I want it to run. Forget the rest of it. So, you know, different drivers, are, you know, in Kelly Yarbrough say, if you don't want me to use it, don't give it to me. <laughs> so, but, you know, he was different. But And he'd always tell me, you know, where he wanted his arms in the corner. He'd like a quarter turn is all he ever wanted to get, move his arm and you had to make sure he got the right steering bar in the car for the particular racetrack but uh, you know they was a, a lot of them different but, so you, you're talking you know, about you were talking about Carol Yarbrough okay so a quarter turn so basically what like let's say your your regular car let's say a Camaro or Mustang's got between 14 to 16 to 1 ratio on the steering box what were what are nascar what's your what's your steering ratio on those cars is it much sh- well, shorter it than that be from seven, yeah 17 the one that was that was one of the basic numbers i remember uh-huh yeah okay so and then as far as uh um drivers okay so when you when you as a crew chief do you did you have the uh the ability to pick and who choose who you wanted to drive the cars? No, not really. And well, or is it the team over the team over the? Yeah, when I was at home with Mooney, I mean, they had to hire the drivers. We just go work for them, you know, right. like Fireball work for him. He never had much being put in the car. He'd come in in the morning, set up on the workbench, and watch us work on it. He wouldn't distract us from what we were doing, but he'd just sit there and watch us. Uh-huh. And, and I want to tell you about Lorenzo and Pearson. He had worked you to death before the qualifying to try to get, you know, changing this and changing that to try to find out what was best. But that was good. You know, he was he was wanting to win as bad as we did. But he we changed a lot of things. And, but it was, and, and then he'd be sandbagging the whole time, and then he'd put the lap together come qualifying time. So he was a great qualifier. So over the years, if you look back and you reflect and you look at some of the drivers, you look at the greats, you look at the David Pearsons, the the Richard Petties, and uh, and the and the Buddy Bakers and the Yarboroughs and the people like that, uh, it, did any of those drivers 
did they have influence on you to the point where you said, watch what these other drivers do and either emulate them or don't do what they did? Now, obviously, in Earnhardt, you know, the intimidator, he, you know, his reputation was pretty dirty, you know, when on the, on the racetrack, you know. So, I mean, obviously, you oh, yeah. met him. So, you as a team owner, how, how would you instruct your, your, your crew and your driver to react knowing that, that Earnhardt was, was, was that type of a, a driver? You know, it's like, and, and is there racing etiquette, if you want to use that term? Is there some sort of, you know, like a, res- a certain respect? Because when you look at some of these drivers, you go, well, you know, this guy was kind of a respectful, mindful driver, where these other guys were just, you know, all out reckless. And I'm not using this as an example because in, 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 in road racing, for example, when I interviewed Dan Gurney, and 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 Bob Bondurant, they were very smooth, very consistent drivers, and very con- cognizant of their equipment. By comparison, when I had Parnella Jones on the show and I interviewed Mario Andretti, both of them said, "Well, we were a little hard on equipment, and I'm sure we would have done a lot better over the years had we been a little bit more, um, you know, mindful of the equipment and other drivers, and you know." But we just wanted to win. Period. So share share some of that that thought with with us. Well, I remember working with A.J. Foyt, especially at Daytona. He'd get an engine that didn't run. He'd just, he'd just clutch it. Really? And, but now he... But you talk about somebody can drive a race car, and good at setting up a race car was A.J. And not only that, I mean, he'd work on the engines. He'd change jets in the carburetor. You know, he was, he was his own mechanic. He was something else. But he was... Uh, but he only had one thing in mind, that was win race. Okay, and then some of the other drivers that you, you competed with. Well, you're talking about Kale now. You know, he'd always tell me, don't give it to me if you don't want me to use it. And don't do anything to slow it down. But okay. now you, he didn't know anything about a race car. As much as he was around home with motive in the early days, right on up, you know, until he come to drive our car in the in the. 80s uh-huh. and but you have to watch him in the corner of what he was doing and go with the tire temperatures to see if it's push or loose and and then figure it out from there but you get to know him i mean you, you could watch him and he was going to drive every lap as hard as he could so you could watch him in the corners and figure out what what to do to the race car all right, which which brings up a, a question I wanted to ask you, and you probably remember this. Okay, now we had I interviewed Ken Squire a long time ago, and I think the first time Ken Squire, when the first time they really did live national TV broadcasting was 1979, and I believe that was the year that Allison and Yarborough got into it after the race on the racetrack. He wasn't driving one of your cars, was he? No, that was coming down for the last lap, coming down for the win. Yeah. And they was on the back stretch, and 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 Kale wanted to do that slingshot, you know, by on that last lap. Because when he was driving our car, I'll tell you one day, Tony and Talladega, uh-huh. he'd wait till the last lap and then slingshot by, and that's what he was going to do with Donnie. But Donnie run run him over to the wall over on the left, on the infield side, and then they wrecked the two cars. And then they get out and got a little fisty stuff going on. <laughs> Well, that means. I think Richard Petty fell into that one after that. Oh, really? I think he was going to end up winning. We was already out of the race. That uh, was in 79. Okay. 
you know, it was 80 when we come back and won it. What, were you, what, what car did you have in the race at the time, and who was the driver? It was Buddy Baker, and it was that Oldsmobile. Oh, okay. All right. So when you guys went from the from the uh, 70s cars, the early 70s cars, and then now you're getting into, let's say, like the, the mid, mid-70s mid cars, before they went to the metric size cars, which was the late 80s or, or late, 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 late 70s, 79, 80, What's your thoughts? What was your experiences with with the cars? I mean, were they were, were because from our perspective, they look like the s- same car, but were they did they downsize the chassis as well as the car, or did basically it was the same chassis as the early cars, but they were just reskinned? No, whenever they downsized in the cars and then changed the wheelbase and everything, you know, you had, you had to change the whole thing then, you know, and build new cars. Okay. They, you know the old big cars wouldn't work no more, and get rid of them. When that's you, whenever we, uh, when you know, that's when we showed up at Daytona in in eighty. I'm trying to remember these dates, and I'm a little fuzzy about it. But when we first done it, it was in eighty one, I think, is what we. Anyway, we went to we we had been running Oldsmobiles, and we went built an Oldsmobile, and we went to Daytona and tested with Bobby. Yeah, we didn't. And that, when he come around the racetrack, I said, that car will never run. And Harry near the owner was standing there by me. And he said, you know, I said, listen to it. It's, it's working against itself there. It's there just like a flag flapping in the wind. So anyway, he sent a guy out to get get what was legal cars for that next for that year. He come back and had Pontiac Grand Prix and a Pontiac uh to Reno. Anyway, they come back and looked at it, and then we didn't know what they was looking at but on the Aclamon. We go out there looking, there's a fastback. Dang. So I called the guys at the shop and I said, build it. So, anyway, we go through Talladega and test it, and, and they called Daytona and told them we was going faster than what I had on my watch, stopwatch. So when we showed up at Daytona, and all the guys went out for France. Bill France brought him back in the, in the garage area, and he said, well, how'd you come up with this car? And I said, well, it, it's on your list. It's a legal race car signed by Bill Gasway. And he looked at the sheet, and Bill Gasway was standing there. He got on, and Bill all got there in front of us. But anyway, <laughs> I, he cornered me then, Bill France, and he said, well, couldn't you bring another car back? I said, that's all we got, Bill. You know, and it was. Now, so, was this one... Okay. When- was this when they were came out with the Aero Coupes? Would this be like 85, 86? Is that what you're talking about that time? 81. Oh, 81. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I'm pretty sure my heart, my yours is correct. But anyway, they didn't have no car in Florida to make a template off of. And we had to sit there for two days. And right the day before qualifying, we got a few mates on the racetrack. And... And then Bobby goes out there and sits on the pole, and he really irked them when he done that. But then, come down to the end, we led the race all day and, and misfigured the gas somewhere, and I'm still, that one race that bothers me today, just icks me alive, that we run out of gas coming down the back stretch, fixing the pit. Ended up running second. Oh. Yeah, that was a killer of killers. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
Waddell, let me ask you a question. So when you were young and you were growing up, were you kind of a hot rodder? Did you get into cars back then when you were like 15, 16 years old? <laughs> let me tell you why I'm in my hometown. Okay. <laughs> I was downtown one day in this police highway patrolman. Now, where, now tell, set, set the stage. What town are we talking about? Where about what state, what town? Oh, we're talking about in the 50s when I was a kid. I was still in high school. Okay, which, which city and which state? Uh, that's in Bakersfield, North Carolina. Okay. Up in the mountains, Mitchell County. Okay. Anyway, this highway patrolman said, come over here, boy, and get in the car. And so I get in the passenger side and sit down. He said, he pulled this envelope over his visor, and he said, I'm going to tell you something. You've been reported more than anybody in the three counties, Avery, Mountain, and Yancey. He said, <laughs> you're going to end up killing yourself. But, you know, that was a pastime to go fast. I just love speed. So what kind of cars did you race back then, and what, what'd you, what'd you, how'd you build them? Oh, this is just, on, this is just street cars, all I'm talking right, about. Right, 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 right. So what were they? I had a 41 Ford convertible at that time. Uh-huh. And then did you, you build know, so you were running basically an old flathead back then? You were building those up? Is that yep. kind of like the first motors you were working on? Yep, I was a flathead. So when you were younger and you were, you know, you kind of got into hot rodding and stuff like that, did who who were your influences? What influenced you? How did you get into the car uh, hobby, so to speak? Well, I remember, you know, being things. I, I didn't go to the racetrack then, but I heard about, you know, uh, Curtis Turner and Joe Weather and men like that, I kind of kept up with them. Especially Turner, he seemed to be the, the best of the, at that time. And then uh, did, did, did well, let's see, back in those days, I guess they obviously didn't have TV, so they have radio and they had newspapers and stuff like that. So basically, did you were you able to listen? Did they broadcast racing on radio back in those days? Yeah. They did? Yeah, I remember listening to them at times on Sunday afternoon. Okay. How about, uh, and this is a question because I, I got this from a from a listener last week. They said, ask Waddell if he was ever involved with building any motors for any moonshine guys before he got into the business. <laughs> That's a pretty good question. You like that one? Okay. So, I worked at this service station for a while, and this guy, he come by on a Friday afternoon, and he'd want me to check his car over, and he had to pull a moonshine then. And I worked on it and kept him tuned up. And, you know, that was amazing. He was a great guy, and you never thought he was in the moonshine, but his dad's the one that made it. And, and they, he, he gave me a jar full of that once in a while, and it was a crystal clear. And, boy, if you took a drink of it, you could know it went all the way to the bottom of your stomach. <laughs> but, he would, but he would run to Iceville. He'd go to Iceville, and you know who he sold his liquor to, white liquor? No, who? To the doctors and the lawyers. No kidding. Yeah, he had to run every Friday evening. He'd go there. Who were some of the uh, so? If there were some legendary race car drivers from your area, so how far are you from from Asheville? Oh, I'm guessing sixty mile. I'm not sure how far it was. Which direction are you? Towards Waynesville, or are you the other way? Yeah, towards Waynesville. Okay. All right. So, the, and that's a real pretty area over there. So, okay. So, were there were there any legendary race car drivers that uh, were moonshine drivers that eventually became race car drivers that uh, from your area there? Not that I recall. Uh, no, not that I remember. Okay. 
And then how is it that you got into uh, repairing diesels and stuff like that? Did you go, is that basically you went to like a vocation school and learned diesel mechanics and everything like that and then moved to South Florida? Is that how that worked? Well, I ended up, you know, going to nice Blackstone Diesel College. Uh-huh. And then I ended up in Orlando, Florida with some friends of mine. And then I was working his job and lost it. And I was looking for work. And, and I remember that uh, this truck line, Central Truck Lines, had a, an opening in Miami. So that's how I ended up in Miami, down there working on diesel engines. And then then left those and went to Cummins Diesel. And that's when I was worked with Cummins Diesel when I left Miami. Okay, and then that's when you moved to uh, Charlotte? Yeah. Okay. Did you ever work on any marine engines? Did you ever do anything for boats or anything like that, or motorcycles or anything other than automotive or heavy equipment? Well, I love boats. I love fast boats. Oh, you, you do? Know? Lived on the boat, oh, yeah. We had bee drivers, in, inboard, outboard jet boats. Yeah, I love those. And motorcycles. David Pearson, I'll never forget <clears throat> he came to me at Darlington. This is, I don't know how many years ago, but he come to me and he said, What well, else? I'm going to be at your house on Monday morning and I'm going to bring in my motorcycle up there and I want you to fix it. <laughs> I said, Why? What's wrong? He said, I got outrun. He said, I don't care what it takes. So he brought that up there and to the house and to underload. And I worked on that. And I finally got to where I thought it was pretty good. And I remember that thing was so fast. You need the back rest on it, and it's going to run out of money. What kind of motorcycle yeah. was it? <clears throat> it was a uh, it was a Harley Twin Harley. Oh, okay. So anyway, he came to pay me off, and that was the funny thing. He had hundred dollar bill, and I I got him in my hand, and he was. A, I said, "Dave, you can't take this with it because I said they smell like they've been in the backyard in a can or something." Or <laughs> he said, no, but that was the funniest thing you ever said. He said, I can't take wind, but I'm gonna take it as far as I can. <laughs> that was one that was one of the finest men I ever worked with. Do you have any other David Pearson stories? Actually, he was one of my favorite uh, NASCAR drivers, you know, mainly because he was a Ford Wood Brothers kind of guy, but I just thought he was re- you know, the silver fox. I just thought he was really, really good yeah. and and underrated. But uh, do you have any other silver or any other uh, David Pearson stories? Well, I tell you one thing, if you ever rode with him in a streetcar you would then for a treat of your life if your heart could stand it. He he could do things with a car that is his most unreal thing that I've ever seen. And he was <coughs> I remember when he was in Michigan one time. This team we worked together in sixteen sixty nine seventy and won the championship out of Home and Moody in sixteen sixty nine. But we was headed um, back to we was at the racetrack in Michigan and had North Jackson on <coughs> and there's one of the guys behind us, beside us, and I pulled up beside him. I couldn't get by him, and all of a sudden, somebody hits me in the tail. And this person, he pushes me on by <laughs> <laughs> on the <laughs> street, bump drafting for sure. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, he was amazing to ride with him. If you had, if your heart could stand it, uh, he could put on a show. Oh, but Dan. So when you were when you were a hot rodder when you were a kid, did you ever have any aspirations to be a race car driver? Oh yeah, I just couldn't afford to do it. You know, when I was in Miami, I had my own old race car. Uh-huh. I'm there at Hialeah, Palmetto, and, and Hollywood, and uh, finally tore it up. That's when kind of when I said, "Well, I'm going back home." And I went back 
North Carolina after that. So basically, you had they a. Tr- they didn't want to race two with a thing. Okay, so it was basically a roundy round car that you raced back in the day? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. What kind of engines were you running back then? Flatheads. Flatheads. Okay, you're running old Fords. Okay, cool. Um, if you had not been an engine builder and not gone into racing, what would have uh, what would have been something else that you would have pursued as a career? Well, I that's pretty good by another. I loved airplanes as a kid. I wanted to be a, a I wanted to fly P fifty ones as a, as I grew up. My father was in in the military. He was he flew bombers uh-huh. of all things. But anyway, I wanted to. I just want to do that, and then I lost the hearing in my left ear, so that kind of knocked that out. Okay. So we got a few minutes left. So when Waddell Wilson is not doing NASCARs and, and all that other good, what other hobbies do you have while you're up there now? I love you're... fishing. Fishing? Okay. Yeah, I love fishing. play golf with, with my son. Okay. That's about it. How about boats? you still play with boats a little bit? No, I finally give up on all the boats. And just, you know, we lived there on Lake Norman, and and the water was so rough and all. It's hard to even, even move or broke around that place. Really? Well, anyway, Lake Norman. And this guy, the last time boat I had, it had two five oh twos in it, and this guy bagged me to buy it, and I sold it to him. <laughs> well, Lake Norman's pretty big. That's up there on the other side of Mooresville, so uh, that's where a lot of the NASCAR guys hang out, and they got, got a lot of fast boats up on that lake, I hear. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Rick Hendricks had it did. I don't know about now. I had the fastest one up there. Okay, and, and we're talking big boats. We're talking like offshore boats, like fountains and cigarettes oh, and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, you're talking about 28, 30-footers. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Well, Waddell, we are just about up against the clock again, but this time, this time, we have plenty of room to uh, to, to to say goodbye and not rush you. And thank you very much for coming on the show and sharing some some pretty cool stories with us. And you know, people love to hear about personalities. I love to hear about yourself and your stories and your background and your hobbies and things like that. You know, personal interests and stuff. And obviously, some of the people you worked with, and, and obviously some racing stories. So again, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. And uh, I'm being a guest, and hopefully next time I get up to North Carolina, maybe for the Moonshine Festival. But actually, every once in a while I go up to Asheville, uh, I'll just have to give you a rattle your cage and see if I can stop by and say hi. It'd be great. Love to have you. Hey, let me ask you a quick question. We got about a 30 seconds or a minute left here. Do you still think is it is it possible that there are still some old old vintage sixties, fifties, sixties, seventies race cars still stashed and hidden away in barns someplace up there? I think everybody finally hunted through those barns and all those places. It might be one, and I think they've done found them all. Did they? I don't hear no more coming up anymore. Okay. Well, I always had a thing for the 72 Ford Torino, so I've always been kind of on a hunt for one of those. And uh, I remember years ago I saw the old RC Kohler car, and then I think there's one of old Red Farmer's cars out there flowing around, maybe original, maybe a copy. But uh, were you – oh, yeah, did we – well, darn, we're almost out of time again. But I wanted to ask you about the uh, Boss 429 Torino that they raced at Daytona. Did you build a motor for that? 
I, I had the one engine I never liked, 429, Boston. You know, you had Cooper rings, you had O-rings, there's 64 O-rings. You better make sure everything was perfect in that engine. You'd have water leak. And that was one heavy engine. Yeah. Compared to 427. My favorite engine was 427 with two four barrels, a tunnel port. That was it. That was the best thing. Well, Waddell, we're up against the clock. We're not going to get cut off. We're going to be able to have a, a decent uh, farewell here. The checkered flag's coming down slowly. And uh, I want again, I want to thank you very much, and I wish you all the best of luck in, uh, in your retirement. And hopefully I'll run into you someday. I look forward to it. Well, so would I. And I thank you for having me on your show, and I appreciate it very much. It was an honor. Okay. Well, thank you. You take care. I want to thank my very special guest, Waddell Wilson, legendary engine builder and NASCAR crew chief with some great stories. Waddell, you take care. Say hi to uh, Mr. Poindexter for me. I'll say hi to him, too. In the meantime, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday between 7 and 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network. Don't forget to follow us on some of our social media. Uh, we'll post you some stuff about some of the shows, events, and stuff like that that we do. And, uh, you know, if you want to tune in and listen to some of the most uh, interesting interviews with some of the most fascinating and legendary people in motorsports and musicians. we got some musicians lined up next month, but a couple more NASCAR guys coming up. And then, of course, next week or the week after, we're going to do our 13-year anniversary show. Matt, thank you very much. Appreciate it. You did a good job again tonight. Thank you, Sarah. Happy to help. I'm really happy about that. Big shout out to Bobby. He's up there in uh, in Florida someplace. <laughs> and he's, he's uh, on an island with a drink in his hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, uh, I don't know. That's that's pretty much it. So in the meantime, I want to see you guys out there. Some of the car shows. Check out flacarshows.com. We can find out about all the stuff. In the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. I found an island in your arms.